Today, you guys can discuss those later, you know, find out the details, but um, today uh, is all about just uh, that four-letter word that really dominates our lives in a lot of ways, fear. It's kept so many of us down. It's held so many of us back from becoming what God intended and what God intends us to become. It's a big deal because a lot of us experience a lot of fear in our life. And, and just so you know, the title of this series, God has called us to be something, and that is fearless if we're going to follow him. And I don't know how you are with being scared or how you are with fear, um, but uh, you, how many of you guys are Halloween Horror Nights people? Anybody Halloween Horror Nights people? You like it out there? Yeah, it's, it opened on Friday night, and maybe you like that, maybe you work there, um, but I'm just going to tell you I'm probably never going to be at Halloween Horror Nights because I'm just like, why would I pay somebody to scare the crap out of me. Like, what's the point? Like, I don't get like, hey, here's 20 bucks. Will you punch me in the face? And every time I give you 20 bucks, punch me again. It's just not my cup of tea. I'm not into that. Some people are. Um, it's, the fun part about fear is if you're scaring, if you're the one scaring people, that's kind of fun. Like, I don't like being scared, but scaring other people, that's kind of a cool thing. Like, working at Halloween Horror Nights would probably be a lot of fun. Um, you know, and just if you go back to when I was a teenager, there's something I used to do to my grandma that is like totally, you're going to think I'm a mean person after this, but it was really fun at the time. Uh, I look back and I don't think it's very funny, but it was super funny then. Uh, she was super scared around our house. And so anytime she went into a dark room, it was just me and her living there. Um, anytime she went into a dark room, she would reach around the corner to turn on the light switch in whatever room she was going into. I don't know, you might still be there, um, but that was her. Well, I would hear her wandering around the house sometime and I'd be awake and I would just slip into a room that I think she might be going into. Yes, I would do this to my like 70, 80 year old grandma. Um, and when she would reach around the corner, there were times I would just grab her hand and go, rah, like inside the dark room, okay? And she would be like frozen in fear. I remember her seeing her like this. Um, sometimes I wouldn't scream, but it's even creepier. She would reach around the corner and I would just reach and just grab her hand really gently. Like tell me that wouldn't freak you out. Like I said, then it was super funny. Mm, not so much now. Um, I'm surprised I didn't give her a heart attack one of those times. Um, but, but, you know, it's one of those things when it comes to fear, here's a definition of it. Fear is an unpleasant emotion caused by the belief that someone or something is dangerous, likely to cause pain or a threat, whether that threat is real or imagined, because sometimes we're afraid of things that aren't really there. But I just want to say this, sometimes the greatest hindrance to us accomplishing great things in our lives, it's not a lack of talent, it's not a lack of opportunity, it's not a lack of giftedness. It's fear, right? Fear keeps us from accomplishing great things in our life. When you, when you uh, from a spiritual perspective, so often the greatest hindrance to you and I doing anything great for God in God's name is not a lack of talent. It's not a lack of opportunity. It's not a lack of giftedness. It's fear. Fear holds us back in so many areas of our life, yet throughout God's word, we're reminded time and time again that God has these amazing plans and dreams for our lives. And I will just tell you, if you live, if you live your life in fear, never taking risks for God or with God, you will miss out on some of the most incredible things that God planned for you to do from before you were born. And it really comes down to this struggle that all of us have. It's a struggle between fear and faith. It's a struggle between fear and faith. 
And I'll just tell you how this plays out. And I look at uh, my, my then two-year-old. Nine years ago, we moved down from Michigan to Florida to start this church. Um, Savannah was two years old. And um, just so you know, for those of you that have never lived in Michigan, you don't do a lot of swimming in Michigan. Pools are frozen most of the year. Um, so it's not really fun to do that. But you do a little bit of swimming in the summer. So at two years old, we moved down to Florida and you swim year-round. And so we're like, our two-year-old needs to learn how to not be afraid of the water and jump in the water and learn how to swim. And so I can still remember her when we first, like the first few weeks we moved here, getting in a pool, and she had never really been swimming in a pool because you just don't do that up there. And her standing on the edge, and literally, it was just literally, it was it was a, watching her face trying to transition from, I'm going to do it, and this is going to be fun, to, oh my gosh, I can't move. Like she was that afraid of the water. And you could see it in her face as she just battled out fear over faith. Fear over faith. Because the fear was saying, the water's deep, I've never done this before, will my dad really catch me, right? Because that's where she's jumping into my arm. Um, faith says, jump. Dad has hands like Calvin Johnson, he doesn't drop anything, right? That's what faith says, go for it. Fear says, it's too dangerous, don't do it. Faith says, trust dad and jump. And there's consequences to little Savannah's decision. She can't stand there forever. She has to choose either to get over the fear and jump or to give into the fear and walk away to hopefully come back another day. Now, if she were to have jumped, she would have discovered that her father could be trusted. And she can move in faith the next time that she's afraid. But if she doesn't jump, she misses the chance to see how faithful her dad truly is. And she'll tend to potentially choose safety and fear over faith and trust. She might begin to think that she's a person that doesn't take risks and shouldn't take risks. She needs to live the safe life. And it's an overstatement to say that how she responds at two is how she's going to respond the rest of her life. That's not, a, that's not like, oh no, she's afraid now, she's going to be afraid then. But what happens as we get older, and many of us enter into a deeper relationship with God, which is why you're here, and so there's some part of you that wants to grow deeper with God, there will come a time in your walk with God where he asks you to jump. There will come a time in your walk with God where he asks you to take a leap of faith into his arms where you have to trust him and have faith in him. And I will just tell you, 23 years in ministry doing what I do, so many people in the Christian faith never jump because they're too afraid of what it might look like if they jump. They're too afraid of failing. They're too afraid of finding out if God can be trusted or not. And so they never take a real risk for Christ. Yet that's what God's plan is for you, is to lead you on an adventure where you're going to be used more than you ever dreamed of being used to do things that you never dreamed you could do. But to get there requires risk and faith and to trust God and to have that battle out in your heart. Am I going to be afraid or am I going to have faith? That's the point of the two weeks of this series to invite you and I to live fearless lives for God. So let me pray before we dive in. Um, Jesus, thank you so much for this morning. Um, Lord, so many of us in this, in this building right now, we just carry fear with us on a daily basis. We're afraid of so many things, and our culture doesn't help us with those fears. In fact, our culture um, feeds us fear so often to make us afraid of, of moving outside of the norm. And so, Lord, I just pray right now that you would allow us to pinpoint some of the fears that we carry in our lives that you might be wanting us to move past. Help us to hear your voice of how to do that. 
And Lord, just take away any distractions that we might have carried in here with us that would keep us from, uh, from being touched by you. And so God, I just invite you to this place to open our hearts, open our minds, open our ears and speak to us about fear. So um, I want to tell you a story uh, about a man named Joshua in the Old Testament. And I want to pull out of it three truths um, about overcoming fear and trusting and following God. Uh, let me give you the context of the story. It's a, it's a fantastic story, but the context is, I've got to go back in history a little bit. Um, Moses, and many of you guys know the name Moses. You've seen the cartoon of the, tune or the movie, and uh, older people like me, um, you remember Charlton Heston, and he did it great. Um, but it's one of those things where Moses had led the Israelite people out of slavery, out of Egypt, and was leading them to the promised land that God had promised he would give them. Well, when they get to the promised land, they send 12 spies into the land to check it out. When the 12 came back, Ten of them came back and said, we can't go in there. There's giants. We can't defeat them. They're really scary. Why did God bring us out here to die? Um, we should have stayed back in slavery in Egypt. And those ten who were afraid spread that fear throughout the Israelites. How do they do that? Because fear is contagious. Well, let's say it again. Fear is contagious. Now, let's tell you, as a parent... If you lead with fear all the time and your kids hear you always being fearful, that fear is contagious. You will kind of plant that into who they are and they'll catch it from you. These 10 spies were able to get the entire country or the entire nation of Israel afraid because fear is contagious. So everyone begins to turn against Moses and grumble against God for rescuing them from Egypt only to die by the people that were inhabiting the land. Only two of the spies came back and said, the land is awesome there are giants in there but we could take them out like we got this god has given us the land god promised us this but it was too late by the time they were able to speak up the 10 had spread so much fear the whole nation had taken root being afraid of going in they were so afraid some even wanted to go back to slavery they wanted to go where it was safer and less risky well, God responds to them grumbling against him after all that he had done. He says to Moses, because of your unwillingness to trust me and, uh, and follow me, your generation, speaking to Moses, your generation will never see the promised land. Their fear, their fear overcame their faith and trust in God and they never saw the promised land that God had promised them. In fact, they wandered in the desert for 40 years. So if any of you are like reading the Bible story or remember there's 40 years in there for somewhere, why did the nation of Israel wander about in the desert for 40 years? This is why. Their fear overcame their faith. Only two men from that entire generation and their families actually saw the promised land. It was the two spies that came back and said, we got this. We can do this. I don't care if there's giants. God promised us this land. Caleb and Joshua, those were the two names of the spies that came back and said, we can do it. Now, that's the backstory. okay? You have to have that as the backdrop. Now, we're going to fast forward 40 years. It's the end of the 40 years of wandering in the desert. The entire generation has died off except for Joshua and Caleb. There's millions of people in the Israelite nation. Joshua has become the leader of it. And, and, jo and God says to Joshua, Joshua, it's time to go into the promised land. And I love what God says to Joshua, knowing their propensity to be fearful and their history of fear. This is what he says to Joshua, Joshua 1 verse 6, and I believe he's saying this to you and I. For some of you, this next passage is for you. This is why you're here this morning. So like, listen, real, this is God's word. He wrote this so that we could read it and hear from him. He's speaking to Joshua, also to us. He says, Joshua, be strong and courageous. Be strong and courageous, for you are the one who will lead these people to possess all the land I swore to their ancestors I would give them. 
Be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey all the instructions Moses gave you. Do not deviate from them, turning either to the right or to the left. Then you will be successful in everything you do. Study this book of instruction continually. He's speaking of the Torah, which is the beginning of our Bible. Meditate on it day and night so you will be sure to obey everything written in it. Only then will you prosper and succeed in all you do. This is my command. Be strong and courageous. Don't be afraid or discouraged for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. And so I want to take this, this, uh, these three verses and I want four verses and I want to pull four things out of them. First is this. Did you notice that God told him three times the same thing? You just got to know when you're reading the Bible, when, when you read and things are repeated in the Bible, um, it means that it's really important, okay? It's not like, gosh, did the writer just uh, get stuck, you know, and keep writing? No, it's, it's really important. Joshua needed it three times. You and I need it three times. Three times. Be strong and courageous. Don't let fear win the day. And then he says the phrase, after three times be strong and courageous, don't be afraid or discouraged. We're told, don't be afraid. 366 times in the Bible, God says, don't be afraid. Which I believe he's just covering all his bases because he has one for every day of the year plus leap year when it comes around. He's like, I've got it all. I want you to not be afraid of how you live your life. And the key is at the end, why does God say to not be afraid? Why does he? Why, why does he say not to be afraid? Do you remember? Yes. God says, don't be afraid, because I'm with you. Don't be afraid, I'm with you. Don't be afraid, I've got this. Don't be afraid, I'll do this through you. That's the third thing. And the fourth thing is he gives him no instructions on how to do it. Did you notice that? God doesn't say, okay, Joshua, here's your 10 steps to battle plan, um, how we're going to beat the, 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 the big giants there. He just says, go, I'm with you. Sometimes that's all God says to us. Do you know that? God says, this is what I want you to do, and I'm with you. So Joshua, uh, this is what he did. Joshua 2.1. Joshua, son of Nun, secretly sent two spies. I'm not going to read the next word because I might get in trouble if the video or audio cuts out. It'd be really bad. It says, go look over the land. He says, especially Jericho. So they went and entered the house of a prostitute named Rahab and stayed there. So what did Joshua do? He took the first small step of faith he could take. He sent men to investigate, which gets us to our first truth I want to pull out of this, this passage, this story. And that's this. Every great story of following God begins with a small step of faith. Every great story of following God begins with a small step of faith. For Joshua, the beginning of this big God story in his life was taking this small step of sending spies to Jericho. Because if they were going to get into the promised land, Jericho was pretty much the gateway city. So he went to check it out. It's a step of faith. God said, go, okay, let's go see what's going on over there. Let's see the gateway and let's check it out. Because sometimes the best thing we can do when we sense God may be calling us is just to take a, a, a small first step. And I'll just give you some examples of steps that I thought out that God may be calling you to do. It could be God, God asking you to call one of our ministry leaders and saying, where do you need help? Because I want to join one of your teams. That's a small first step that God may be knocking on your heart saying, get involved. Good. Go talk to Bill at starting point. Um, it could be asking for prayer after the service and saying out loud, maybe for the first time, what you really struggle with and what you need prayer for because you haven't told anybody. Maybe God's just saying, you need to take this one next small step. 
every great God story begins with a small step of faith. Maybe it's going and visiting a prison that God has kind of put on your heart. You've been feeling a nudge to help inmates. And maybe it's just going and visiting, making a phone call and asking, what does it look like to come and visit? How do you guys, uh, how can I help out there? Maybe it's grabbing one of the half marathon spots that are still available for Disney, even though you've never run a marathon, but it's grabbing a half marathon spot and starting the training on Saturday mornings with the team to help put clean water wells in Kenya for all the POCOT. Maybe that's your small step of getting involved in doing something um, maybe it's not just thinking about it, but it's actually meeting with an adoption agency or a foster care agency because that's been on your heart for a long time and you've never even taken a small step of calling and getting information. Maybe it's setting up an appointment like that. Maybe it's calling a Christian counselor because your marriage has been struggling for a really long time and you know you need help and you just haven't gotten over the fear of talking to somebody about it or even bringing it up with your spouse that you haven't even made a call yet. Maybe it's making a call and going, we need an appointment or meeting with some of our marriage mentors here. We have couples here who feel called to walk alongside married people to help them with their marriage and with their family. Maybe it's stopping and, and talking to Bill Malat back there in the back and saying, help me out with this marriage mentor thing. It could be putting boundaries in your dating relationship and saying, hey, I'm gonna do this relationship God's way from here forward and you trust him with the outcome that he's gonna fulfill his promises. Maybe it's grabbing coffee with a friend and sitting down and say, hey, um, um, I know you don't know Jesus, but I do. Can I tell you my journey of faith to Christ? Because some of you, you know that God has put someone on your heart that needs to hear your story of coming to faith, and you've been too afraid to take even the first small step of letting them know that you know who God is and you know who Jesus is. It could be inviting a friend or a neighbor to church, and you just haven't bridged that, that gap. You haven't, you haven't walked over that bridge yet because there's just a fear there of what are they going to think. Or, or are, you know, they, <laughs> for me, I'm like, sometimes I'm out in my garage and I'm yelling at my kids. I know pastors shouldn't do that, but every now and then I'm yelling at my kids and I'm just thinking, man, I, I know my neighbors can hear me right now. You know, I'm like, I don't know if I want to go, hey, I'm a Christian. I love Jesus. Come to church with me. And they're like, uh-huh. Yeah. You know, I just don't know. Um, but maybe there's a fear there. I mean, it could be giving financially for the first time and just trusting God that he'll bless you because he promises that if you give, he'll give back more. It's maybe it's that first small step of going, okay, I'm going to write a check. I'm going to give something. I'm just going to trust God. There's always a fear behind why we get stuck from a spiritual perspective and stop moving forward in our walk with God. But as you know, and I know, and I just said, every great God story starts with a single step of faith, a single step of obedience. Overcoming fear of the unknown starts with one small step. Well, let's get back to the story. The two spies, they go into Jericho. They end up at the, at the home of Rahab. Rahab um, was a prostitute. Um, and so they end up at a prostitute's house. And uh, she was pro they were probably used to having visitors, so it's quite possible that entering her house might have been the path of least resistance. So they're kind of like, it's a easy, there's so many people going in and out of there that it's just fine. They can kind of blend in and get in there. Um, once the spies get there, they begin to experience immediate opposition, which sometimes happens when we step out in faith. I don't know if you've ever stepped out in faith. Usually there's immediate opposition to that. So, um, of course, this happens in this story. Joshua 2, verse 2 and 3, the king of Jericho, was told, look, some of the Israelites have come here tonight to spy out the land. So the king of Jericho sent this message to Rahab. 
Bring out the men who came to you and entered your house because they've come to spy out the whole land. But the woman had taken the two men and hidden them. She said, yes, the men came to me, but I don't know where they had come from. And as you keep reading the story, she sends them off out of the city and says they left the city and went that way. So the group hunting them down leaves that way all along there in the house, which brings up the second truth about following God. Whenever you step out in faith, God has great people waiting to help you. Whenever you step out in faith, God has great people waiting to help you. God had already been at work before the Israelites ever showed up. Rahab, she tells them why she helped. She's like, let me just tell you why I'm willing to help you right now. Joshua 2, 9 through 11. I know that God, that the Lord has given this land to you and that a great fear of you has fallen on us. So that all who live in this country are melting in fear because of you. We've heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt. And what you did to Sihon and Og, the two kings of the Amorites east of the Jordan, whom you completely destroyed. When we heard of it, our hearts melted and everyone's courage failed because of you. For the Lord your God is God in heaven above and on the earth below. As they took that small step of faith, God revealed how he had already been at work before they even showed up. God was already at work behind the scenes. He had been preparing Rahab to welcome and support them in advance of them showing up. And I'm just telling you, if, if and when you take a small step of faith, which could be accepting Jesus Christ today, God's already got somebody willing to help you and waiting to help you. He just does. And I'll just tell you the story, a little bit of the story of here. Um, when we came down, we came down nine years ago uh, to start Kensington down here. We had about 100 people, including children, maybe a couple dogs and guinea pigs, moved down from, from Michigan to help us start. It was incredible. It's what happens when you recruit January, February in Michigan. People was like, hey, you want to come to Florida? I'm like, well, I can't feel my hands or feet. I'm in, you know. Um, let's do it. But where this truth comes into play in our story, the story that you're now a part of, is how God had already been at work here before we ever showed up. First week I lived here, I know one family that lives here. I show up, I meet a guy named Chris Marsden who had heard what we were doing and um, we, we got together for lunch and basically from that moment, he was all in, him and his family. He came on staff with us, helped us launch, was with us on staff for like seven and a half, eight years and he just stepped off our staff to go. He's working for a church planning organization in Orlando, still volunteers here, his family's here this morning serving. He was already ready to go by the moment, like before we were there. I showed up week one. Marsden connects with me and he's in. We've got a family that's already on board. Fred and Deb Mateer, they had moved down to Orlando, I think ten, eight to ten years before we got here. They were from Michigan, had connections with Kensington and Steve Andrews up there, had moved down to Florida and he was our realtor. They helped us find a home. We spent a lot of time with them and this is what they told me. They said, you know, when God sent us to Orlando, we were like, why did you send us here? Of all places. They didn't have any family here. They just moved down. When we came down, they literally said, now we know why God sent us ahead of you so that we could help you start Kensington. And now Fred is one of our elders. He leads, uh, the, leads the, um, uh, the usher, one of our usher teams. His wife, Deb, is on the prayer team, and they've been with us, with us from before day one. We move into a temporary rental house for eight months, um, uh, and we move four houses away from Craig and Kim Medeiros. Now, I love them. Craig only has one downfall. He's a New England Patriots fan. Um, that's the only thing bad about him. I'm a Detroit Lions fan. Like, who likes the Patriots? Nobody. Um, there's just a couple people that wear jerseys here. You know, whatever. Um, but what I didn't know about Craig when I met him 
is that he's one of the best drummers that I've personally known as a friend. He and his family jumped in from before day one, and he played drums for us almost every Sunday for the first two, two and a half years of this church. And God had already sent them and prepared them for what we were doing. You're going to see him playing in the new facility. The Tanners, Scott and Michelle Tanner, and their three boys, they came to Kensington one of the first few weekends that we opened, got involved, and now Scott is one of our elders and leads our usher team with Fred. His wife, Michelle, leads our whole coffee team. I'm just telling you, I can sit up here probably for another 45 minutes and tell you story after story after story of, of how God had already sent great people to help us, and they were just waiting for us to show up. That's how God works. When you step out in faith and follow God, you can trust that he already has great people waiting to help you. You will not do it alone. Joshua experiences this. So the spies, we'll continue to get back to the story. The, the spies, they hide out until the search party leaves. They drop down through a window. They tell Rahab, hey, hang a red cloth from your window because when we come into your city, which we will be coming, when we come into your city and we overthrow it, if we see when, whatever house we see that red cloth in, we won't destroy it. So gather your friends and your family and anyone who wants to be saved from what we're bringing um, and be in that building. And they did. But then Israel has to do something before they get to Jericho. Joshua 2.23, then the two spies came down from the hill country, crossed the Jordan River, um, reported to Joshua all that had happened to them. The Lord has given us the whole land, they said, for all the people in the land are terrified of us. And then Joshua has to take a big step of faith. He says to all the people, million plus people, pack your things, we're about to go. So they, they literally, think about it, a million people spread out on a desert. Um, they pack up all of their stuff, and they have a huge obstacle to cross. They actually have to cross the Jordan River, which is at flood stage. And this is what happens. Joshua 3, 14. So when the people broke camp to cross the Jordan, the priests carrying the Ark of the Covenant went ahead of them. Now the Jordan is at flood stage all during harvest, yet as soon as the priests who carried the Ark reached the Jordan and their feet touched the water's edge, the water from upstream stopped flowing. It piled up in a huge heap a great distance away at a town called Adam in the vicinity of Zarethan, while the water flowed down to the Sea of Arabah, that is the Dead Sea, was completely cut off. So the people crossed over opposite Jericho. The priests who carried the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord stopped in the middle of the Jordan and stood on dry ground while all Israel passed by until the whole nation had completed the crossing on dry ground. And I'm just telling you, how incredible would that have been to be a part of? Like, just think about it. I'm pretty sure Joshua and all the people at that point are going, okay, God's with us, got this. You know, it's like, woo, we can do this, right? Could you just watch a river stop at flood stage? Because as God, uh, because God showed up and cleared the path for them as they went. That's our third truth. God often clarifies the path and prepares us for the journey while we're already on the road. When did that miracle happen for them? After they had packed up and actually stepped into the water. It wasn't, okay God, lay it all out and then we'll go. God just says go. They don't know how they're going to get across the river until they step into it. That step of faith into the water. God clarified the path and prepared them, which gets me to you and I. Where in your life have you felt a nudge by God? And I just want you to stop and think for a minute. Where in your life have you felt a nudge by God? An invitation from him. A pull to get involved in serving, to share your faith, to lead or start a ministry, to obey God in your everyday life, to make a commitment to coming here on Sundays, to do something that God's challenging you to do, to join a small group, to mentor somebody else. 
and the way forward is unclear. You don't know what that looks like. You don't know what that might be in your life. It's too uncertain. There's not enough information. You can't see how it's going to fit. You're afraid, and because of that fear, you're holding back, and you're too fearful to proceed. Where in your life is God nudging, pushing, inviting, and your fear is keeping you from even taking one small step of faith? So I want to show you a video of a guy named Andy Donnelly. It's his story of how he was transformed by Jesus after he had already taken a small step of faith to go on a short-term missions trip. He actually went to one of our global partners, Kenya, and he wasn't in. He wasn't a Christian. He just wanted to go. He felt like God was asking him to go, and he's like, okay, whatever. I want to just say while you're watching his story, and I'm going to let it speak for itself, while you're watching his story, we're going to receive our offering. So ushers, you guys can come on down. For those of you that um, are visiting, guests here, let the best go by. We're grateful that you're here. For those of you, Kensington's your home. Um, this right now uh, is an area where we take a step of faith every week, every month, every year, and God meets us in ways that are tangible. And, and don't, don't miss this. This offering moment is connected to the life change that, that we witness around here. Like when you give here, that money is directly related to people's whose, people whose eternities are changing on a weekly basis because they're falling in love with Jesus Christ for the first time. And just so you know, it's like your investment here has an eternal return, um, which I love that about giving to God. He says, I'll take it, I'll multiply it, I'll do things with it that you never dreamed possible. And on top of that, I'll bless you because of your generosity. So thank you for those that give to what we're doing here. And then um, while they're finishing that up, I want you to hear Andy Donnelly's journey to faith in Jesus as he was already on the road. I'm a huge skeptic, and just in general. I, I, I don't really believe something until I see somebody prove it to me. Um, it could be anything, it's not just religion. I never saw it firsthand. I never saw a physical being coming up to me and saying, you know, I'm the one watching over you right now. And until I saw that, that thing actually happen, I wasn't really going to fully commit to anything. You know, I, I was perfectly content not going to church when we got married, and very happy with it. I was, didn't have to get up in the morning on Sundays, and I was very happy not doing that. But when our kids were born, and we were trying to find a place to get them, uh, get, have their baptisms, and we didn't have a church. And that's when my wife kind of brought it to my attention and said, I think we need to start going to church. So then when we got the invitation to come to Kensington, it was, I think it was our third church that we tried. And again, when I walked in the door and I heard the music playing, and I sat down in and, and my seat, and I and I felt like I was brought into the service. It was almost like I felt comfortable for the first time in a church. I was learning more about God and I, I just kept taking it all in and saying, I'm just on the fence. You know, I, I need that proof. I need something. I've just been sitting on this fence for so long, I need something to push me off this fence. In October of last year, my wife was diagnosed with breast cancer and that kind of hit me. It was like, I either have to be so incredibly mad at God right now for doing this to my wife, or I have to go the other way and say, all right, God, I need you. And I need you to watch over both of us right now. Well, she and I have been running with Hope Water for the last four years. Uh, we've done two marathons and a couple of half marathons with Hope Water, and we've been raising money for the Pocot. Um, we sponsored a child that, that is in the Pocot village out there of Kodich, and we got invited to go to Kenya last summer uh, with part of the Hope Water team. 
And I was very excited to go because I wanted to see what we were raising money for and, and I wanted to see the faces that of the people that we've been trying to help out for the last four years. But I was also trying to figure out what my role was there. Like, what am I trying, like, why am I going? Um, there's all these other Christ followers who are out there on this team. Why me? I spent time watching people interact with, with the, the kids there and then the people, the villages. And I just kept seeing people having so much joy. And I kept looking around going, you have nothing. You literally have nothing here. You don't have any water. You don't have any food. You have nothing, yet you are so happy. And I kept saying, oh, why? Like, what is it that you have so, so, have so much joy for? And they kept coming up to us, and they kept asking us, are, are you Christian? Are you believe in God? And I'd always be in the back of the group. And I'd let everybody else go, oh, yeah. Yeah, we love Jesus. We love Jesus. And I'd just be kind of in the back, just kind of nodding my head and not really joining into the conversation. But then I kept thinking in my head, here we are, halfway around the world. These people share the same thing as the people that came with us. They have this one commonality, that Jesus is their, is their, their center of their life. And the rest of my trip, I just kept thinking, how do I get what they have? So I would go to bed at night, and I would just lay there. And I would try to fall asleep, but... I just kept having these voices in my head. Like they just kept telling me, you're here, I'm here. I'm right here in front of you. You can't see this? Yeah, that, that was the final proof that I needed. I just got it. And I knew that all of these thoughts and all these, these uh, questions that I had in my mind were now gone. And I knew then that I wanted to pursue him more. They're the ones that helped me. Um, I kept thinking, I'm going to come here, and I'm going to help them, and I'm going to give them something they don't have. And then th the actual reverse thing happened. They gave me something that I didn't have, and I came home with something more valuable than anything I could have given them. I think going on this short-term trip to Kenya was life-changing for me just because I finally got the final piece of the puzzle. You know, you can talk about it, you can read about it, you can discuss this in groups, but until you actually see the effect that it's having and, you, and the effect that it has directly on you, that's the ultimate life changer for me. Now I have that inner peace. I have that inner peace that I'd never had before. You know, uh, um, there's a verse, I don't even know what the verse is, but I, about putting all of your worries on him. And that's what I've been doing since I've gotten back from Kenya. It's just basically saying everything, everything that can happen to me, I'm not going to worry about it. I'm just going to let it go, and I'm going to put it on God, and I'm going to trust in him that he has a plan for me and that I, I can follow that plan wherever he tells me it is. You know, on Andy's trip to Kenya, God gave him the missing piece that he was looking for while he was already on his way. He had already began to move, and God just showed up to give him direction, and this is what I'm going to do. And I, I just got to tell you, like, our mission statement at our church is to see everyone transformed and mobilized. And that mobilized piece is huge to me, because God isn't, involved, isn't interested in getting involved in your life for you to just sit where you're sitting and to do what you've always been doing and to be who you've always been. Jesus wants to transform your life and then mobilize you to do what only you can do on this planet. 
because he's got a perfect plan and will for your life. That's better than anything you could dream up. You've just got to be willing to take that step of faith when you don't know five steps ahead. You don't know ten steps ahead. That's how we want to follow God. We're like, well, God, I'll do it. You just got to show me what's five steps from now look like. God, I'll, I'll do it, but you got to show, is this going to work? Is this going to make sense? Is this, is this going to end like, like I, I hope and dream it will? We want that. And God just says, no, that's not how this faith thing works. This faith thing works by taking one step. And God says, just take the step I put in front of you. And when you do that, I'll light up the next one. That's called walking by faith. That's a spiritual journey that God wants to bring you into. And so I want to just take a moment and I want you to just think about what fear is holding you back right now. Just be brutally honest with yourself. What are you afraid of? You afraid of failure? You afraid God's not going to catch you? Are you afraid that other people are going to make fun of you if you talk about your faith? Are you afraid you're going to have to change your lifestyle if you accept Jesus Christ? Are you afraid you're going to not have enough time if you commit to one more thing because your schedule's already full? What fear is holding you back from stepping into what God is calling you to do? And then I want to say to you, and I want you to hear this from God's heart to you, I'm just a mouthpiece, but it's powerful. I want you to hear God speaking to Joshua as if he's speaking to you. And so as you look at and think about whatever that fear is, I want you to hear God's voice saying this, be strong and courageous. Don't be afraid. Don't be discouraged. For the Lord your God is with you. So be fearless. You don't have to live with fear every day. God's calling you to a life of adventure. God's calling you to a life of purpose and significance. Fear will keep you from that. So trust him and leap into the arms of the most loving father you'll ever have in your life who promises that he'll catch you every single time. Let me pray. Jesus, you're an incredible God. You're an incredible father. And Lord, I thank you that you not only want to transform our lives by transforming our hearts and our minds and the way we think and the way our identity is shaped because it comes from you. Not only do you want to transform us, you want to mobilize us to do what you've called us to do, to do what you have uniquely designed each one of us to be a part of on this earth so that we can spend our life filling it with purpose and significance that you've designed for us. And so, Lord, I pray for those of us in the room that are followers of yours. We have accepted you, but fear has been holding us back from stepping out in faith. Lord, I pray that whatever that fear is, that you would just squash it. I pray that whatever that fear is, that you would overcome that fear with courage right now in our lives. I pray that you would change our mindsets and give us the strength to take that one small step of faith because every great God story starts with one small step. Lord, I pray for those in the room that aren't followers of yours yet, but today is the day 
And maybe right now, like you, like Andy in the video, you've been searching and looking, and today you're going, okay, I think I get it. I want to be all in with Jesus, and I just want to tell you over the next few minutes, all you have to do is invite Jesus into your life. And he promises to enter in, to forgive you of your sins, and lead you on an epic journey with him. And you can do that right in your seat, talking to God. He hears every thought you have, and invite him to be the Lord of your life. And I pray for you, if that's you, Today's your day. Not going to be a better day than today to do that. Lord, I pray for us as a church. I pray that we would be a fearless church, that we would go wherever you call us. And the moment we hear your voice, we would be ready to not only mobilize, but to go and to trust you with the outcome. In your holy name, amen.